Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Self-Initiative Project Podcast. I'm your host, Jim O'Brien. Hey, so welcome to episode 24. You know, today is a pretty exciting day. This podcast is our 24th, and it's two years of doing podcasts now, one a month for the last 24 months, so pretty exciting. And today my guest is Ben Powell from Bullseye Indoor Range and Gun Shop in Lawrenceville, Georgia. How are you, Ben? Hey, how's it going? Good, good, man. I appreciate you doing this with us. I think it'll be a good chat. Today, we're going to be talking about how to purchase a firearm and what to expect. So that's a pretty important topic. Definitely. Important topic for a number of reasons. A, for anyone new just getting into purchasing firearms, uh, hopefully give them some helpful information. And while we're talking about it, you know, hopefully dispel some of the myths that float around, especially on the in the anti-gun community or otherwise, just some misknowledge, I guess, uh, bad information out there. So, uh, yeah, it should be a good one. So, yeah, uh, man, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Been looking forward to this one for a few weeks now, for sure. Um, so before yeah. we get into it, uh, just uh, we like to talk when we have guests on, talk about them, the, you know, their background, who you are, where you came from, how you got into all of this. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, my name is Ben Powell. I've been in the gun industry for uh, 16 years now and I'm only 31. So um, that means I've been doing it since I was 15 years old. I've been in the gun industry. Wow. Now, you know, when I was 15, I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't, doing everything I am now. And I wasn't allowed to do a lot of the, the stuff at the gun shop, but, um, you know, I was at that point, I was almost like a janitor. I guess. Yeah. So, uh, right. But, um, so yeah, I've been doing it for 16 years. I mean, I, I've, I love every minute of it. I'm a, I'm a, you know, a part owner of the shop, me and my family own it, me and my dad and my, my, uh, three brothers, we all work there and, um, you know, we, we love it. So, yeah, we've been open since uh, 1991. Wow. Um, and, yeah, so I'm coming up on 30 years here now. Um, like I said, I've been there since 2004, so right after the uh, assault weapons ban went out of place. That's how I remember it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we um, we we love it, man. We do, we do a great job over there. We, we have uh, a lot of fun. We try to have some personality at our shop, too. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely helps with sales too. And yeah, I think and I think your your shop has a great reputation and the prices are good and and uh, all of that good stuff. So I always enjoy going in there. But we wanted to talk. Yeah, we appreciate that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And you know, today we wanted to talk about purchasing a firearm, purchasing a gun, and what all is involved with that, and kind of like what people can expect and uh, what the process is like and all of that. So um, I guess we'll just start with, you know, what's involved with buying a fire firearm? What's involved with buying a rifle? How old do you have to be? What's involved? What's the paperwork? You know, buying a pistol, how old you have to be? What's involved there? If there's any differences and then kind of go from there, I guess. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, when you uh, come into a shop, you know, basically uh, you need to, you know, you, you just come in and you fill out a what a ATF calls a, a Form 4473, uh, which is just, uh, you know, the 
We'll ask you your general information, like name, address, and then ask you to um, answer yes or no to some questions and whatnot. You fill out one of those. And um, so you do need to typically, so there are, and this is, I'm going to speak for Georgia specifically. Cause sure. That's where my experience is from. And that's where, you know, we're, we're located here. So for us in Georgia, you know, we, uh, we have it pretty easy. It's not too difficult to, to purchase a firearm. And so, um, you know, as far as, as, as restrictions, I mean, um, so yeah, you have to be 18 to buy a rifle or shotgun, um, okay. and 21 to buy a handgun. And, uh, so when you come into a shop and you're ready to, uh, ready to purchase, you know, um, the, the one thing that we try to do, so a lot of people, um, a lot of shops in general will, um, be very specific on what they recommend for me, like, and for us at the shop, we, we try to uh, get as much information from the customers to see what you need, to, what you're trying to use the gun for. Cause you know, every, every gun is going to be different for different purposes. You know, people ask me all the time, like, Oh, what's your favorite gun? Well, um, <laughs> it depends on my situation, you know, right. like it, what I'm doing, if I'm, if I'm carrying a gun um, all the time, you know, I don't want something that's going to be huge. But also when I'm target shooting, shooting the bigger guns is going to be more comfortable. Yeah. And the reason is because the bigger guns are going to have less recoil and easier to control and more accuracy than the smaller guns. The smaller guns tend to have more recoil to them. And um, I consider those, uh, they're not fun to shoot, you know. Yeah. They're necessary guns to own and necessary to carry. But they're not one you're like, hey, I can't wait to go shoot a uh, hundred rounds through this little, you know, 380 pocket gun because that's going to have some snap to it, you know. Yeah. But I do still recommend a lot of those guns to, to people depending on who they are, you know. Um, but I think a big thing with purchasing a gun is finding one for your particular needs and for you as a person because everybody's hands are a little bit different. So what feels good to me may not feel good to you. So. Right. Um, the big thing we try to do is get a lot of information from them on what they are looking for in the handgun so we can kind of direct them to a specific gun that will fit their needs. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's a good point. You know, so, yeah, that's a really good point. And a lot of times, you know, uh, folks will walk into a gun shop, no, not knowing maybe it's their first time or maybe they're just looking for something new and they ask advice, you know, what should I get? What do you like? What, what should I buy today? <laughs> and it's better just to try to figure out what works for you. You know, I tell people all the time, try renting, try renting as many things as you can get your hand on there, see how the recoil works for you, see how it fits your hand, how the trigger pull works, all of that good stuff. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I think, um, Shooting the gun is going to be the best way to figure out what you like. But, you know, that also means, you know, um, knowing what to expect. Like, if you buy one of those small guns, don't expect it to be the smoothest, best shooting gun you ever shot. Because it just won't be, you yeah. know. Um, and it's, it's one of those things where it'd be nice if you could get the, the tiny pocket gun that holds 15 rounds, but that's just <laughs> not a possibility. Right. It's not, yeah, it's not physically possible, you know, so... Um, but yeah, I think knowing what to expect is, is a, is a big thing. Um, and so going to shoot is the, is the best way to do that. And I will 100% all the time say, get training, yeah. um, possibly even before you purchase a gun. Um, and I know I've listened to several of your podcasts where you talk about training and it's just so essential to being prepared 
and knowing uh, what kind of gun you want also, what kind of gun for different purposes you might you might want. So um, I always recommend take a class before purchasing a gun. That way you're making an informed decision, not just uh, buying on impulse, buying because it looks cool, buying because, you know, it fits in your hand well. Um, although those are, you know, somewhat important things, um, the main thing is knowing uh, how to control the gun, getting something for, for your needs in particular. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and putting safety first. And that's an important part of that training, too, especially if you're just new to the firearms yeah. industry and looking for something or buying on a panic impulse, you know, based on whatever's going on uh, in the government or otherwise. Uh, circling back to the picture. Right. <laughs> kind of like the way things are right now, right? Uh, circling exactly. back, <laughs> circling back to the paperwork for just a minute. The form forty four seventy three. So you got to be eighteen to buy a rifle or shotgun, and twenty one to buy a pistol, and everyone's got to complete that form. So let's talk about that for a minute. I know one of the things that at, on the form asks for is your social security number, but you're not required to provide your social security number correct correct yeah you, it is an optional thing uh, you know the only time i'll recommend that you you put a social your social security number is if we have to do a background check and that's just so they can narrow down who you are sure um, we might take help not take so much time for them to come back um with uh, the correct background and and it can Help them, you know, again, like I said, narrow down who you are so they don't get you confused with somebody else that may have a similar name to you. Yeah, and that's a good point. So most anyone coming in to purchase, unless they have a concealed carry permit or a concealed carry weapon permit like we have here in Georgia, uh, everyone's got to go through a background check, right? assuming they're purchasing legally in a store, everyone's got to, you know, when they fill out the paperwork, you guys get on the phone and call, don't you right there on the spot? So, yeah, we can do it a couple of different ways. Um, so, um, yeah, when we do a background check, they do have a website we can do it through. It's just primarily what we like to use because it's more, um, it's better time-wise. It doesn't take so long to, to do the background check. Um, and you, it allows you to, do multiple things at once if need be. But, um, yeah, everything requires a background check. The only thing that I would say um, doesn't is if you have a concealed weapons permit in Georgia, that um, lets you go around having to do go through that background check. So, um, you know, again, I always recommend anybody that purchases a gun or owns a gun get a carry permit. Not that you're going to carry it everywhere you go, even though I may recommend that. Right. Um, not that you're going to necessarily carry it everywhere, um, but even for the simple fact that if you get pulled over and it's in your car, um, it lets the officer know that, hey, you know, this guy is a, or this lady is a, is a law-abiding uh, gun owner, and that kind of maybe puts their mind at ease a little bit, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's just something good to have. It, again, it, it allows for a quicker purchase, but it also is something, you know, you never know when you're going to go through an area that you're like, you know what, I need to have something on my side. Yeah. Um, so I, I would highly recommend that as well. But yeah, a, pretty much a background check on everybody. There is no, uh, as the, as the liberal media like to say, gun show loophole. Um, there is no gun show loophole. Um, 
as bad as they want there to be one. Because um, <laughs> even at gun shows, they have to run background checks. If they're a business, they got to run a background check. Yeah, if they're so, a business, everyone um, still has to do that paperwork, right? There is no real loophole. Right. Nope. Nope. You don't have, if, yeah, everyone has to fill that out. There is no gun show loophole, like they say, for sure. Yeah. And I and I want to talk more about that, but just to finish up on the primary paperwork, I know. So if you have your CCW, you're good, and you can skip the uh, immediate background check. But you also have to have a driver's license either way. Are there any other forms of ID that'll let you purchase, or does it? What What is the rules and regulations around the ID outside of a CCW? So yeah, you um, so you need a driver's license with your current address. That's seems to be a, a, a big problem sometimes. People don't tend to update their license to their current address. So you would need um, your driver's license with a current address um, or basically any photo ID, um, government-issued photo ID with your um, address on it and an expiration date will work, which driver's license is going to be one of the only things that that applies there, considering you know passport's not going to have your address on it. Um, things like that. So, um, yes, but if you don't have your current address on your driver's license, you can still purchase. You would just need a um, something government issued with your current current address. So it would have to have your name and your address on it. So I um, mean, it would have to be government issued. So like a tax document or um, you know car registration or something like that um, would work for that in that case. Yeah. And so, yeah, uh, good stuff there because that helps, you know, when you come into the shop and you're looking to buy, you know, here's some things that you can just expect. Uh, waiting periods. What? Where are we here in Georgia with eight waiting periods? It doesn't seem like anyone has to really wait anymore. Is there any instances where there is a waiting period in place? So there's not like a set waiting period, but when we do a background check, they can either tell us three different things. So they can tell us, you're proceeded, you're good to go, you can take the firearm home that day, um, and they can tell us that you're denied so that you can't buy the gun that day. Um, and they can also tell you um, delayed. So what they do in a delayed situation is uh, they have to, they give you basically um, three days, not including the day that you do the background check or the day that you can pick it up. So basically five days is like the most you, you would have to wait. And that, so the five days is basically uh, a little period where you can, um, you know, they'll, they'll either call us and let us know that you're proceeded, or if they they actually they have to come back with a status within those five days, or you can legally come get the gun. So um, that's really the only waiting period that you're going to have. You know, it's just when when purchasing a, a standard firearm, you know, yeah. um, class three items is a little different. Sure. Uh, but when purchasing a standard um, handgun, long gun, rifle, yeah, there's no official waiting time or anything. Now, um, in a situation like we're in right now with the coronavirus or COVID-19 stuff going on, yeah. um, they have kind of changed that because of the possibility um, of having to shut the government down. So that has changed a little bit here right now. But in the 16 years I've been doing this, that's the only time I've ever seen it may even be the only time in history that it happened, but, <laughs> um, yeah, so, um, but they do normally, I would say, you know, 85% of the time, 
they come back with a status within a few days, you know. Um, in the case of, like, if you're not a U.S. citizen, um, that would they, – they are usually delayed. I don't know um, if I've ever done a background check on someone that is not a U.S. citizen that didn't have to wait. Yeah. Um, and that's a pretty standard thing for, again, if you're not a U.S. citizen. Sure. Yeah. So talking more about this gun show loophole uh, myth, uh, I was just having this conversation with a buddy of mine uh, the other day up in He's up in Chicago, actually. And so he was talking about, you know, that's one thing where there needs to be some things in place. And I'm like, wait a minute, there is no gun show loophole because any business present at the gun show selling firearms has ha- has to have you complete that same form and go through the check process just like if you walked into a gun shop. But I do think, and I don't know what percentage of time it happens, I suspect some, but not a lot, there are sales between private individuals, right? Like I've got this really cool pistol that you've been wanting me to sell to you for a while, and I can do that. And I can do that at home or I can do that out in the parking lot. And for that matter, I can do it out in the parking lot while at a gun show, but that's a sales transaction between two private individuals. Right, exactly, yeah. So, yeah, if you are selling a gun to a private individual, um, you legally do not have to do any paperwork per se. Now, that's not necessarily what I'm recommending, you know. Sure. Uh, I have sold guns to friends and, and people I know, um, and my biggest requirement, especially if I'm not, I don't know the person, is that they would have to have a, a carry permit, and um, which is the same requirement that a gun shop would have, you know. Yeah. Uh, so to me, it to to be able to take it home without a background check. So to me, you know, I I would say, you know, you do want to do your due diligence because if you sell a gun to somebody that's not legally able to purchase a gun, that is on you, and you are liable for that. So. Um, it is, it's not like you're, uh, it's not like you're scot-free if you can just sell as many guns as you want to anybody you want and have no repercussions, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, although there is, you know, there is a way to sell a gun without a background check being done through private individuals only. Yeah. Um, it's not like you're, you're scot-free if you sell it, you to sell it to whoever you want, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and that's a good point. Uh, which I don't think a lot of people realize because I've got a buddy who buys and sells, you know, he's not flipping guns per se, but he has bought several that he just turns around and sells to private individuals. And he does do the, he does go through the due diligence. Like I'm pretty sure he gets a copy of their driver's license and he's got some kind of basic short form that he has them sign saying, you know, they're not felons or anything like that. But you know, that extra step, that extra precaution in place, A, it's going to make someone hesitate if they know they shouldn't shouldn't be buying firearms if you ask them to complete that paperwork as a private individual. Um, and two, it's kind of CYA paperwork, too, because as I understand it, since the firearm was originally in your name, in other words, you know, it's on the 4473 form if they wanted to go back to the shop and look it up you're really the first person that they're going to inquire with should anything happen and that firearm get used in a, um, you know, in the commission of a crime or in an illegal act, whatever it is. My understanding is, you know, the, the original owner of the firearm is the first one 
uh, questioned. And then it's up to you to prove, no, no, I haven't had that gun for the last six months. I sold it. And here's the proof of that, that sell. Right. So, you know, that's another myth I would say is that, you know, uh, you just because you, uh, just because you sell or just because you purchased a firearm from an individual, yeah. um, or just because you sell a gun to an individual, yeah. um, doesn't mean that it's not required for you to do your due diligence. So what happens is if a firearm is found or reported stolen or found stolen or was using a crime, what they do is they go to the, the ATF or the uh, whatever police agency, what they do is they go to the manufacturer of the firearm and they say, hey, um, let's say Glock, who did you sell this Glock 19 to? And they say, oh, well, we sold it to Bullseye Indoor Range and Gun Shop in Lawrenceville. And yeah. um, and so they come to us and say, okay, Bullseye, who did you sell this to? Um, and then we have to give them the paperwork saying we sold it to uh, Jim. And um, they, you know, that's how they do their due diligence. So yeah. then you would need to provide some sort of accurate depiction of where that gun went, you know, and that's why I would always recommend you do a bill of sale and you have a record of the guns you have owned and sold. Um, just, just in case, because you you never know, um, what's going to happen. Um, like I said, even if the gun's stolen, you know, that's how they track it. And they're not the, the ATF or the, the federal government is not legally allowed to keep records of who owns what that would be called a registry. And that is one thing that, you know, us as gun owners and as Second Amendment supporters do not want. You right. know, we don't want them to have access to that because that's a way for them to be able to come confiscate, you know. Right. And, uh, and that's been done in the past in other countries. And so um, that's one good thing about the way our system is set up, for sure, is that, you know, you, you can't just uh, you are liable for it. And you do have to be be careful. Yeah. And, and that's a good, a good point too, is some folks think that, um, when you complete that 4473, even though I don't think very many people even know that's the name of the form or the number designation for it, they think that's on a gun register. You, they think that means your name is on some list somewhere. And yes, there is a paperwork trail for legal stuff store purchased firearms but that is not a registry yeah that's definitely true um and they you know even when they do our uh, they come and do an audit on us when i say they i do mean the atf even when they, the atf does an audit on us you know um they're not even allowed to take the, the books to their hotel room or to their house and look at them they they have to leave the books um and the paperwork at the store and so, oh, wow. yeah, that's a, that's a, yeah, that's a big thing. Even when they do audit, they have to do that. So, huh. um, yeah, that's true. I did not know that. Well, that's good. Yeah. There's been some concern expressed about that whole thing, uh, in the past too. So that's good to know. Uh, let's talk about, uh, what you should not do when you come to purchase a firearm. As far as like things that I would, I, I would say you don't want to do when coming to purchase a firearm. Well, um, you know, be open to listen to the sales associate. Now, a, a lot of um, one thing that that we try to do is we try to let our customers look around and have some um, space to look around a little bit. But um, 
you know, you don't want to go in with an attitude of this is a gun for me, unless you know what you're doing. You know, if you know what you're doing, that's one thing. But if you're new to it, be open to, to understanding why you might want something in particular, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and I would say, again, uh, be open to taking a class because that's, you know, I can do, I can show you a gun. We can feel it. We can talk about it. Um, you can even shoot it. But there may be something about it that, you know, you think you don't like, but maybe you're holding the gun wrong. Maybe you're, you know, maybe you're not sure how to manage the recoil. And that's why I would recommend taking a class, you know. So, And a lot of these shops, what they like to do is they like to, oh, well, you know, buy a Glock 19 or buy a, yeah. this particular gun. Um, but again, everybody's different, you know. Yeah. Not, every, not just because it feels good to me doesn't mean it's going to feel good to you. So, and even, you know, this whole, the whole, uh, you know, you, I have an uncle who's a, a cop or I have a, um, you know, a brother who's a cop and they told me to buy this gun. Yeah. Well, that's a good recommendation. Right. Um, but I wouldn't take that as like, uh, as a, as you know, that word is gold because everything, everybody's different. And so I think a, a big thing is just being open to what, uh, what, you know, some different suggestions, yeah. um, because, you know, like I said, I've been doing this for a long time, and I'm not one of these guys going to say I know everything about guns because I don't. And you know, I, I, I learn. I'm learning stuff every day about it. But you know, I feel like I have seen some situations and handled a lot of guns that I can give an accurate depiction of what a person may need or, or may may want based on their needs. So, sure. um, but I think that's a big thing is just being open and willing to listen to what someone else has a, a suggestion about and that doesn't mean that if you don't buy that one then oh you know that sales associate didn't help you know i think it's it's just show them a bunch of take a look at a bunch of guns put yeah. them all in your hands maybe shoot three or four or five of them and, and see how they shoot um but be open to to discussions and be open and that's really in life you know be open to have these discussions yeah um so yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I know on that particular topic, I know, you know, a lot of times women are told, oh, you need a revolver. You got to get a revolver because it's easiest. And, you know, so oftentimes they're pointed in the direction of a revolver and maybe a revolver is what they'll like and what they need. But they should they should work with a shop that's willing to show them a lot of things. And then they should find a shop or multiple shops that allow them to rent so they can get a good a good sampling of things that they think they might like to try and figure out if it's right for them or not, because you're right. Suggestions, suggestions from somebody that knows for someone that doesn't know, doesn't mean it's necessarily the right choice, the right suggestion for that, that person. Um, so, uh, proxy purchases, when I go in and I say, Hey, I want to buy my uncle this firearm, that's illegal. Is it not? Yeah, so that's what uh, what we call straw purchases, actually. Straw purchases, and a proxy okay. Purchases, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure proxy purchase is, a, is another term for it. But, yeah, a straw purchase is when somebody is buying a gun for someone else. Um, and that is 100% illegal, and I can smell it coming from a mile away. <laughs> um, and it's one of those things that it happens all the time. Um, most of I, for us, you know, most of our bad reviews come from that. Um, because what will happen is, you know, you'll get a, a, a man and a woman come in and, um, you know, the man will, will pick out a, a gun that they like 
and then they'll say, oh, well, she wants this gun. Um, and that's a, that's like a, that's textbook right there. There's you your know? telltale. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, definitely. I mean, I've had people, you know, exchange the money in front of my face and, you know, say, you know, well, this is, you know, this is not for me. It's for this person. Well, that's not, that's not legal. You know, yeah. uh, you can't purchase a gun in place of someone else. You know, that they have to go through that background check and they can come back on you because that form 4473 is a federal form. Um, if you lie on that form, you can go to jail and pay large fines for that. They can definitely take you to jail. And the first question they ask you on that form is, are you the actual transferee slash buyer of the firearm? Yeah. Um, and that, and if you answer that with a, with a yes, and then you, Give it to, and, you, and that is, and, and you know, the, pur- the purpose of buying that gun is for someone else. Um, that's lying on a federal form. That's not good. Uh, I think the fine is, is or something like two hundred fifty thousand dollars fine and Ooh. up to ten years in jail. Wow. Um, which is hefty. Yeah. It's a hefty fine, and it's something that you know people should take into into account. You know, um, don't buy a gun for someone that can't purchase a gun if they want a gun they need to go get the gun yeah um because not only in in us as a shop we can we can get in trouble for that so like they they have no the atf is known to send people and send uh, people into stores to test that and see if they will sell them firearms and for us it's not worth our business license and our, our ffl our federal firearms license and you know we're putting that at risk when we sell a gun knowing that it's a, a straw purchase like yeah. that, you know, and, and you can only help what you can help. So, I mean, some people may do that and us not know about it, you know, cause I, I don't know what everyone's intentions are. Um, but I, I, you know, we try to be very diligent cause it's my family out there too. You know, yeah. so if somebody that is coming in to, to get a gun that doesn't need a gun, you know, my family could be the victim from that. So I'm very aware of that. And I try to, to make sure that we don't have, we don't allow any of that in the shop, you know? Um, I understand, you know, people helping um, other people purchase the gun as far as like, you know, getting suggestions and whatnot. But when one person not even holding the gun, the person that that gun is supposed to be for doesn't even put it in their hand. And another person says that they want it. That's a pretty telltale sign. Yeah, that's a big indicator. What's going on? Red flag. So you know, I've often yeah. wondered myself about that. So it sounds like it's a matter of liability because, you know, in my mind, I think, okay, yeah, we know that's not legal, and I should not sell a firearm to this person that is really for someone else. What's the difference between that and then that person that purchases it for themselves going out in the parking lot and selling it to that individual right as right after they've made the sale? Is it is a matter of traceability and liability, and that's really the only difference in that situation? Because I've often I've often wondered, like I, I get that it's it's not legal, but you know nothing says I couldn't go out in the parking lot right after the sale and just sell it to them on the spot. Right, and and there's no there's no way to tell whether that's happening or not. You know that people could be doing that, but the thing is that I think the difference is really in intention, um, what their intentions are. You know, um, if you buy it with the intent for it to be for someone else then that I, I would consider that a straw purchase, you know? Yeah. Um, if you're not buying that 
for your intention of using it, your own intention of using it, then that's that's probably a straw purchase. Now and then it gets a little dicey when you throw in the gifts, you know. So Christmas time is one of our biggest times of year. Yeah. Um, and you can legally gift a gun to someone. Now again, you are liable for that. So you know, just because you can do it doesn't mean uh, you can do it for everyone. You know, people right. that cannot possess a gun can't possess a gun no matter how they get it. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know that it gets a little dicey when you when you, you know, kind of add those things in there. Um, but again, you know, I would say the main difference is going to be intention. Um, you know, if you're buying it with the intent of it being for someone else, then that's probably not a good idea. And the gift, gifting kind of rolls in that. And it's one of those things where, you know, that's something that you have to leave to the discretion of the employee or the shop, you know, um, in my in my opinion, I would think that it would be the best thing for everyone is if whoever is intending on using the gun comes in and either purchases it or does the paperwork for it, um, and that way everyone's covered. Yeah, you know the shops covered, the the customers are covered um, because that's the safest way to go about it. Yeah, um, give but, give, you know, give uh, your family members some cash and let them go buy the gun for themselves. Exactly, and then just you know, buying guns is a personal thing. Like we said before, you know, just because it feels good to me doesn't mean it's going to be good for you. Yeah. And so having someone else pick out what they want, that's that's going to be the better option for everyone in, in the long run, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about all the fun, exciting things, S- SBRs and suppressors and things like that, goodies we want to get our hands on that are a little bit more troublesome to go through the hassle for what's what's involved with that and why is it different and what's involved when getting those sorts of things i guess those are considered class three and you have to have a tax stamp for it etc right right yeah so class three items involve like a short barrel shotgun which is a, a shotgun with a barrel less than 18 inches um or a short barrel rifle which is a rifle that has a barrel less than 16 inches um, or suppressors or silencers. They're legally, according to the ATF, they're silencers. But um, yeah, those we are. We sell, yeah, right. Yeah, I, I wish that'd be great, right? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so we sell a lot of those at the shop. You know, we uh, we've been selling class three items probably since we opened. You know, yeah. um, and the and there there's been some changes throughout the year, but currently. So any purchase of a of a class three item, so be that a silencer, short barrel rifle, or short barrel shotgun, um, requires you to pay a tax stamp. So it's a two hundred dollar tax stamp that you have to pay to be able to purchase the item, and that's um, per item. So uh, if you buy two silencers, that's four hundred dollars. If you buy three silencers, that's six hundred dollars. You know. Yeah. So each each silencer or each um, class three item requires a two hundred dollar tax stamp um, and currently you know the the way the way it's done is basically you have to get uh, fingerprinted um, through either a local agency um, like police agency or even you know now silencer shop is a is a, a retailer that actually has these kiosks up now and what these kiosks do is they do your fingerprint at the kiosk so while you're at the store, you can actually do your fingerprint 
all in the store. So oh, wow. um, that's what we have in our shop, you know. So, um, so yeah, you require, you're required to do fingerprints. You're required to have a passport photo taken that's on your paperwork when you get it back. And then basically you have to send all that paperwork off with a um, with the $200 tax stamp paid. Uh, you send that off to the ATF and you have to wait for approval. And as of late, it's taken about 10 months for paperwork to come back, you yeah. know, and it's not always that way. Um, you know, it hasn't always been that way as far as it taking that long, but that's the big downside to purchasing a silent or class three item is that you do have to wait about 10 months, but you do also have to, not only do you have to wait, but you do have to purchase the item as well because the serial number of that item is recorded on the paperwork. So, um, yeah, when we do the paperwork, that serial number is attached to your form. So we have to pull that item off the shelf and then put it in the back until your paperwork gets sent back to us. And then we call you and let you know that your your paperwork's back. So um, you can use those items while you're waiting, right? If I Do I understand that right? Right. So, and it's, it's all up to the shop or the range that you're purchasing it from. But okay. yeah, if you're at a range and most ranges, I mean, I don't see why you wouldn't. Most ranges will allow you to use the item um, while you're waiting in their range. So yeah. as long as they have the range on the same premises as the shop, you know, if it's at a different location, you know, you can't take it off location. Um, but yeah, so you can, um, you can definitely use silencers or, or, SBRs in the range, you know, for us, when, when we have a range open, when our range is open, you know, um, you'll be able to, to purchase it and use it in our range. Um, as long as one of our managers is there, cause we do lock them up, yeah. you know, every day. Um, so as long as one of our managers are there, we have access to them and we can let you use them while, while you're waiting. And even if our manager isn't there, if you kind of call ahead, um, we can kind of have it set aside to where you can use it. Uh, um, it's, even if the manager's not not there. Yeah. So why why is it that it takes so long to get approved on a class three item? Well, um, you know, I, I don't know. I can't answer that exactly because um, I don't necessarily have a, a whole lot of inside information on the on the NFA branch of the ATF, which is where they all get processed. But yeah, um, you know, it's kind of that's that's another thing there's a lot of myths about, you know, nobody really knows why it takes so long. <laughs> it's a mystery. What they, do is they do a background check. Yeah, it is. It's kind of a mystery. You know, they, they have to conduct a background check, which seems to be about the longest part of the waiting. Yeah. Um, and you can also call and get updated from the ATF on where you're at in the process, not necessarily in how much, how much longer it will take, but if you're in the phase of, background check or if you're, you're in the phase of, uh, you know, reviewing the form and all that. So, you know, that's an option too. You just can, you can call the um, NFA branch of the ATF, give them the serial number of your item, uh, whatever class three item you're buying. And then, um, they can, uh, they can check and see the status of it too. Yeah. Um, but that's a, yeah, it's, it's, I don't, I don't know that I can answer that. Honestly, we'll, we'll um, pretend it's just volume. Sure. Yeah, we'll just pretend it's volume of what they're having to deal with going through there, right? The NFA is having to deal with. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, yeah, and that, that that is probably part of it. Yeah. So okay, I've I've purchased the let's say I've purchased my suppressor. 
And I've sent in my $200 and my photo and the paperwork into the ATF NFA. And I'm waiting. And, um, you know, while I wait, maybe I come up to the range a couple of times and shoot with it because I'm super excited to try it out, you know, just see how cool it is to shoot a silencer. And at the end of that 10 months, I'm declined. What what happens then? So, um, yeah, and that, that's happened before. Not It's not very common. Um, but, yeah, if you're d- denied from that, so you, you technically do lose your $200 um, fee that they charge. Yeah. Um, and there's a way to appeal it also, um, okay. you know, just in case you are falsely denied. You know, that's a, that is a possibility because we're talking about the federal government here. <laughs> right. Um, but, right, so they can falsely um, deny you. But, uh, you know, what ends up happening is because that, that item has been pulled off the shelf for so long, you know, there's typically like a restocking fee and whatnot. But I think, you know, what's important is that you – you understand, you know, when you purchase that item, um, that item comes off the shelf and, and it's held for, you know, 10 months. You know, that's a long time. You know, at any given time, we probably have three to 400 item, class three items that are waiting for, for tax stamps. So sure. um, we have a lot of different items that sit in our in our room. Um, I mean, a whole shelf full and a whole, basically a whole room full of, of, of suppressors and um SBRs that are waiting. So, yeah, typically, you know, there's a restocking fee. You know, I, I don't, I don't know that every shop is going to be a little different on how they do it. Um, but yeah, there you will end up losing some money. But again, an, another important thing to realize is basically, from what I understand, if you're able to have a carry permit, then you're able to own a a, a suppressor or, or class three item. So that's the big thing is if you can get a carry permit, you shouldn't have any problem with with getting a, a, uh, class three item. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, so, uh, just to get your personal opinion on this, because I wrestle with this myself, which is one of the reasons why I haven't done a class three item. And there's a couple of things that I want, but I've put it off. Do you feel being in the business for as long as you have, do you feel like if I pay pay the tax stamp and go through the process of waiting to get approved for my suppressor or my stock that makes my pistol now an SBR or whatever, do you think that puts me on some list that's going to go to the top of some list when things go south with the government or otherwise? Do you think, in other words, should people be concerned that that's a thing or should they proceed and do what they want to do and it doesn't really have any impact? So I, I wouldn't necessarily know if there's a, a list. I mean, I guess technically those items are registered under your name. Um, but, you know, the big thing that I hear is that people are afraid that because um, you have these class three items, the ATF can come can come check on them and make sure that, you know, those are correct and serial numbers are correct and all that. They have the ability to come and, and come to you and double check those items. Yeah. which they do technically the, they do have the ability to to come check on them um but i mean in dealing with the atf for for a long time i i think you know i've only heard of one situation where that has been something that's happened and what it was was that it was a a wife whose husband had passed away and had this uh this old machine gun that he had yeah. and he got it 
they had to get it transferred into her name and got it transferred into her name and, and an ATF agent uh, came in and checked on it and, and made sure that that item was transferred um, and that it was the serial number was correct and all that. Usually what that means is that their paperwork is off and they want to make sure they have some sort of discrepancy and they want to make sure that their paperwork is right. Yeah. Uh, the ATF is a very understaffed um, agency. Yeah. Um, and again, I've, I've been talking to the inspectors and the agents. They all say the same thing. It's just, uh, they don't have the manpower to just go by and check everybody's, everybody's <laughs> plastic items, especially, you know, like uh, me who owns three silencers or, or class three items, or you who own one or two, yeah. as opposed to some of these companies that own hundreds or thousands of them. You know, those are the ones that they are going to check more than the, the people that own three or four or even 10 silencers. That, that's not even uh that's not even a blip on their radar, really. You know, yeah. they don't have the manpower to, to send all of their guys to, um, you know, Ben Powell's house to go <laughs> check their, his three silencers, you know, for some reason. Yeah. The only the only real event that that's going to happen is if you're probably doing something you shouldn't anyway, and you're on their radar for that. So right. um, to me, you know, I don't worry about it because, like I said, I, in, the, in the 15, 16 years I've been doing this, I've never heard of someone getting checked just because they were checking or trying to incriminate them or anything like that. That's what a lot of people worry about. Yeah. But for me, I don't, I don't kind of, I think that's more of a conspiracy type mindset. And sure. So I'm not, I, I don't think it's as much of a big deal personally. Yeah. Um, but they kind of, I mean, if it's a federally registered item, they kind of have to have the ability to come check it. Is this paperwork on on your end and this paperwork on their end? Yeah. If their paperwork is incorrect, they got to be able to come to you to to fix it. You know. Yeah, and that so, makes sense. Uh, yeah. I do understand that. I you know, although purchasing a silencer and doing the registering to me doesn't make a whole lot of sense as far as as far as why you have to go through all that. Right. Um, especially for a, what I call a glorified muffler. Right. Um, because in all lessons, that's about what a, yeah. what a silencer is, is a glorified muffler. Yeah, um, it is. You know, so, yeah. Yeah. But. So, uh, machine guns taking this one step further and I know your shop has a few, a couple, uh, how do machine guns yeah. differ or how do, how does the purchasing process for machine gun differ, or is it the same as the other class three stuff? How, what, what's the delineation there? So there is, it's the same process. So, um, it's the same process, process to purchase a, a, a machine gun as a, any other class three item. Okay. But the difference in a machine gun is, the item has to be made before 1986 or registered before 1986 to be able to, to purchase them. Uh, so okay. what that means is they are very expensive. Yes. So, um, and I, you know, I'm just kind of guesstimating here, but like uh, one of the cheaper, cheaper class three or cheaper machine guns is a, like a Mac 11, let's yeah. say. Um, <laughs> and those last I checked are bringing, Somewhere between six and eight thousand dollars, you wow. know, yeah. um, for any any of them. So they're very very expensive, and you know, if if we can afford them, and you know, go for it. But yeah. they're very expensive, and they're expensive to feed too. You know, you yeah, got to right. pay for the ammo. To <laughs> you got to pay for the ammo to feed that baby. 
Oh, yeah. That can be more expensive than the actual items. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, so it's uh, it's got to be pre-86, pre-1986, and otherwise it's pretty much a class three type of uh, item. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I knew they were expensive, and I suspect that fact alone will keep most people from ever even having to worry about machine guns. But, you know, there's always this big debate in the, especially the anti-gun community. Why does anybody need a machine gun? And they're too easy to get. Uh, not really. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you got a lot of money, nope, I guess. they are not easy to get. <laughs> right, right. You got to find them first, and then you got to pay for them. And then you got to feed them. That's the problem. Is there's not a lot of them. Yeah, there's, there's not a lot of them out there now you know you they do you know they are kind of an investment too you know they go up in value um pretty high you know a little bit every year you see they seem to go up you know it depends but um a lot of people will buy them you know if you you purchased a, a machine gun back in 1995 and you still have it that yeah. gun is probably about three or four times what it was worth now what it was worth then you know so wow. um yeah so they are investments too but you know, a lot of them will cost more than more than your car, yeah, right? And then some. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, definitely. For 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 women coming into the shop, whether it's their first purchase or subsequent purchase, but primarily the first purchase, uh, what would be your biggest piece of advice for for women coming into the shop? So women have it rough when it comes to carrying guns. I, I feel for women because, you know, like us men, we have, you know, baggy clothes more or less. You know, we have uh, usually larger shirts and things. You know, we have places to hide a gun, whereas a female does not have very many places that they can hide hide a gun, you know. Yeah. Um, so women, it's, it, you know, a lot of it depends on, you know, how they want to carry. You know, if, you know, I... I would always say it's best to have the firearm on your person if you're going to carry it. Um, you know, and that's my personal preference. Yep, mine too. But a lot of women like to carry it in a purse also, you know. And, you know, that's, that's probably better than nothing. Um, but, you know, having it on your person as far as a female goes, it, it's gonna, it's hard to do. You know, they um, – and honestly, what I would recommend, and, um, and that's just because it's hard for women to find accessories is, Whatever gun you buy, buy a holster designed for women. So there's a there's a website, and I'm going to call them out um, because they're they're a good they're a good website to go to for women specifically. Yeah. But it's called the Well Armed Woman. Yes, familiar. Um, yeah, and, and and they are fantastic. They have lots of different options for women and caring for women um, that are on your person, not just you know for purses and things like that. Yeah. Again, a purse is, is if that's all you got, and that's what you got to do. It is what it is. But um, I would highly recommend carrying it on on um, person on your person. Yeah. That way, it's easier to get to. And they have things like um, holsters for for bras, holsters like what they call belly band holsters. Yeah, um, things like that that are specifically designed for women because they do require some special care to make sure that they can carry efficiently and effectively. You know. Yeah. Um, for us men, you know. Most holsters, you know, are going to work for, for us, you know, as far as like inside the waistband, you can throw your shirt over it. Um, women don't have that extra bit of shirt to cover their gun, you know. They right. have to come up with a look, more creative ways to do it. Yeah, they got to change so their wardrobe you know, in a lot of cases. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, and then, you know, as far as like 
for a woman purchasing a firearm, um, I think, again, shooting is, is, a, is a big thing. Knowing what you're getting into, trying out different, different calibers, trying out different sizes, understanding that smaller guns are going to kick more than bigger guns. Yeah. So if they plan on just keeping it at the house or, or this is going to be a home protection gun, get a larger gun. Don't get a real small gun. That way you can practice with it. You can target shoot with it, get comfortable with it, um, and, and shoot it without having to deal with the higher recoil and things like that, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think I say first is, is take lessons and, and, and learn about it. Learn about the gun, learn about what you want and know what you want to use it for. Um, and then, you know, again, shoot them, put them in your hand, see how they feel. Um, understand that if it's a small gun, it may not fill up your hand completely. Yeah. Um, if you want a pocket gun, it's not going to fill your hand or else it won't fit in your pocket. Yeah. Um, so you gotta, and then, and I'm a big fan of, of my, my biggest thing uh, for carry guns is the best one is the one you have. Yeah. And right. the one you have on you is the best gun. <laughs> yeah. Um, just because, you know, you have a gun that you love and it's at home when you need it and you're out and about. It doesn't matter how good that gun is. You don't have it. You right. know? So the best gun is the one you have on you. Um, and again, that's something that I personally believe pretty strongly. Yeah. You know, a lot of people say, oh, well, don't get a 22, you know, because that's going to just hurt somebody or that's just going to make somebody mad. You know, right. no, I don't think I don't agree with that. I think that, uh, you know, even a 22 will do damage. If you're efficient with a 22, it, it, it will do plenty of damage. Yeah. Um, so I think, being comfortable with what you're carrying so that you don't, you aren't afraid to use it if you absolutely have to, yeah. you know, that hesitancy can, can honestly get you killed. You know, yeah. if you're hesitant to pull your, your gun out and defend yourself, that can, that can be a, a bad situation. Um, so being comfortable with it's big, um, understanding that as long as it's with you, that's the safest place. You know, you, you, that's the safest way to do it is to have the gun on you. And so if you're more likely to carry a gun because it's a 22 and get you a 22, if you're not going to get a, if you're not going to carry a 380 or a nine millimeter as much, yep. then get the 22 because that's the one you're more likely to be efficient with and more likely to carry. That's the one you need to get. And, you know, every, I, I consider the same, I say the same thing for men too. You know, it's, it, it just people don't want to get 22s or, or small calibers, but if you're not going to carry a nine millimeter because it's too big, then a 22 or something small may do, may do you better, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think the two takeaways and you've touched on these multiple times in our talk is one is certainly if you want to get people's opinions and get people's advice, especially those that shoot, shoot regularly, know firearms better than you do. Great. Take those opinions, get that advice, but ultimately go and find, find out for yourself, hold those guns, rent them, go shoot them, figure out what makes sense for you. Don't just go purchase the firearm that your uncle Bob told you to get. And then the other thing is, is that you've got to shoot regularly and you need some training. Right. And I think those are two key Definitely. important takeaways. Definitely. Again, you're not going to be comfortable with it if you've never shot it. So in wrapping up here, cause uh, I, I think we've had a good chat on this topic for sure. And I I've even learned a couple of uh, pieces in, of info. I didn't realize before a couple of pieces. I actually need to relay to some folks right after this, but um 
you know, <laughs> for me and, you know, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know, I'm, I'm big on safety and talk a lot about safety, or at least I have. Uh, from your perspective, what would you tell people about safety in and around the gun shop when they're looking at the counters, when people are to the left and to the right of them? What 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 advice would you give in the safety department, the etiquette yeah, so, department for um, that matter? A, sure, sure. I mean, that's a huge thing because, um, I mean, every every gun shop or gun range you go into, I guarantee you if they haven't had a I call them MDs or negligent discharges. Yeah. Um, you're going to have them. I mean, we've had them before in our shop um, from either customers or, or even possibly employees. Um, but I, I think the biggest thing is to follow the safety rules. And I just listened to your podcast on that. Um, you know, and, and I think that's, that's one thing that, you know, always treat a firearm like it's loaded. Um, yeah. And then, you know, as far as in a gun shop for, being a gun shop specifically, um, you know, one thing that we like and we kind of require is if you are, if you're bringing in a gun to the range and you want to shoot, you know, and you don't have a, a case or a bag or a box to put it in, you know, make sure that action or that bolt or that slide is locked to the rear and you're holding it in a non-threatening manner. <laughs> um, that being, you know, not with your hand on the grip, finger on the trigger, you know? Yeah. Um, so always action open um, magazine out um, is is 100% the way, especially if you don't have a case. And if it isn't a case and you plan on, you know, maybe even trying it in a holster or things like that, um, first off, you know, come in with it unloaded if you plan on doing those things. Do not come into a gun shop with it with one in the pipe or <laughs> even a magazine loaded. Um, yeah. Again, it happens all the time. Yeah, I'm sure. And, and at our shop, our, yeah, our shop, we... You know, we encourage you to carry inside the shop loaded and ready to go. You know, I don't, I don't think a gun shop is a place where, you know, that is 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 not valid. You know, carrying is not valid. I think it's definitely a place that people should carry, but do not take that firearm out under any circumstances unless it is in a dire situation. You know, yeah. uh, I don't care if you want to try it in a holster. You want to try it in a holster? Then we're, we're going to make you go in the range, unload it. Um, and then you can bring it back in. Um, but, you know, one other thing that I would say would be um, if you bring it in in a box or a bag, to let the associate take it out. Um, it's going to make us more comfortable as sales <laughs> yeah. associates. Yeah. Um, it's going to make other people around us more comfortable um, just because we're going to take extra care. And I'm not saying that, you know, because you're a customer, you don't know what you're talking about, that so you don't know how to handle it. But it's more about making everybody around you more comfortable um, because you are dealing with something that is potentially dangerous, you know. Um, and so we, we try to take extra care in that. You know, we we don't want any any accidents to happen. So, you know, we try to, you know, again, keep our heads on a swivel even in the in the shop. Yeah. And we look at people, um, their, their, their reactions and their actions in general, you know, if they're um, – you know, most people are going to carry inside of a gun shop, and I'm fine with that. Again, just don't uh, don't take out that firearm unless um, it is in a situation where a dire situation, you know, um, because it's uh, it can be it can be very very uh, traumatic to people that are just in the same room or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I've been in the same room. Um, I've I've had a negligent discharge before. 
and it was 100%, 1,000% my fault, you know? Yeah. Um, if you have one, it's because you broke one of the rules. Yeah. Um, that's just the way it happens. But if you break two of the rules, then somebody's probably going to get hurt. Yeah. Um, so that's that's one thing that I'm I'm big on is making sure that you you follow all the of the safety rules, the guidelines that you talked about in your previous podcast. Uh, I think that's something that everybody should read, listen to, adhere to at all times because yeah. that's um that's how people get killed um accidentally and you know that's just a that's a situation where it can be you know very traumatic for even people around. Yeah. You know, we've had emails in the shop when that happened and i mean it literally traumatized some of us you know it's, it's a terrible situation and it's something that we try to avoid at all costs you know any kind of uh, negligent discharge but yeah it's uh it's a scary thing you know it's a scary thing to, to be around it's a scary thing to witness um but that's why we all need to be careful yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I'm glad you touched on those points because they're things that I harp on all the time. And, um, you know, in the gun shop, it I would I'm not going to say it's more important, but it is vitally important that you're following basics because there's so many people in a condensed space. Right. And if you're right. waving a loaded firearm because they're all supposed to be loaded, right, you treat them all as if they're loaded at all times. You know, if you're pointing the, the business end at people to the left and the right of you when you're inspecting a gun you're considering for purchase or whatever else, the likelihood of someone getting hurt is much greater just because a lot of times there's a lot more people in a smaller place. And so those safety rules become even more important from a you know from a shop perspective at least it seems like to me right yeah i, de I definitely agree because you got a lot of people around you you know when you're at your house by yourself it's yeah yeah it's, it's your safety but yeah. you're dealing with other people when you're in a, in a public place or in a location like a shop or a range so it's it's just taking that extra care yeah in my opinion yeah, at home, you know, okay, yeah, there's kids, but hopefully it's just the couch in the way, right? But in the gun shop, <laughs> right, you've got sales right. associates, you've got customers, you've got, you know, a whole lot of things going on. So following those basic safety rules is super important. Well, Ben, this is right, great. Would, right. you, would you have anything else to add to what we've talked about? Oh man, we talked about a good bit of stuff. Yeah, I, I don't, I can't think of anything that uh, is coming to mind yet. Yeah, I but think... I, I do appreciate you having me, though. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, how can folks find you guys? So um, we're Bullseye Indoor Range and Gun Shop in Lawrenceville, Georgia. So um, that's about you know what about forty miles east uh, and northeast of, of Atlanta. Yeah, and. Um, yeah, we, we've been around. We're open every day during the week, you know. Um, so, you know, you can come by and see us anytime. And uh, we, we'd love to help you out. Or if you have any questions or anything like that, you can always call us or, or come by and check out the stuff. Because we got, we got a lot of guns normally. So, you know, we keep a lot of stuff in stock. Yeah, you do. I can attest to that firsthand. Well, Ben, I appreciate you coming on and doing this, and I'm sure we're going to talk to you soon. When next time we're up at the shop looking to purchase something, probably. Awesome. Well, I look forward to seeing you, Jim. Yep. Talk to you soon. Bye.